Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. question if there's ever been a time you can remember when you had a resolve to do something like not just a fad or a a moment in time or a new year's resolution but an absolute resolve and commitment and determination because when we think resolve there's this perseverance and persistence and grit there's this willpower and something really committed to when I think about a resolve for me I actually remember my year 12 this is back in the 90s Yeah, thanks for that giggle. Back in the 90s, a long time ago, (laughs) I was in year 12 and I remember starting the year, it was a bit bumpy. I had some trickiness with friends, a boy broke my heart, that's how I started year 12 and I was just trying to find my fit in year 12 thinking this is just too hard. And I remember this turning point where I had this resolve that I was just going to study really hard. I was like, you know, friendships are tricky, but I can work and I can study. And I had this resolve that I was going to make the best of what I could with every moment and work so hard. And so every Saturday, I just studied and studied and studied. And I got the result I needed. I got into physio. I was super grateful. But that resolve, that commitment and determination to study was my focus of year 12. And it's probably shaped who I am today, that I like study and want to keep going and this resolve to be an ongoing learner. I wonder in your own life if there's been a moment where you've had a resolve, where something has changed, maybe sleep patterns, maybe a resolve to exercise regularly, maybe a resolve to read more books. I don't know what your resolve might be, but something that's changed you. And I want to ask, what would it look like for us as God's church to have a generous resolve, to actually have made a firm decision or determination that we are going to be liberal in giving or sharing, to have a resolve that that is who we will be moving forward. That is who we want to be. Because this is what this Living Generous series has been all about, that it's not about a moment or an action or this kind of process, but it's an actual change of heart, a heartbeat and a posture that we become a generous person because of the goodness of God. And so today I want to look at this generous resolve, looking in 1 Timothy chapter 6, what Paul says there. But before he talks about generosity, he actually talks about contentment. That's his starting point, really looking at contentment. Because if we're going to be generous, we actually need a foundation of contentment. We're actually content with what we have in order to give away. So let me read to you 1 Timothy chapter 6. Feel free to look along on your Bibles or your phones, but it'll be on the screens as well. 1 Timothy 6, starting in verse 6, says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, in a lot of ways, that passage is like an indictment on our modern Western culture, really. This culture that says you need more, you've got to have more, you need more, 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 more. You think about 
movies and, and ads, you think about social media, it tells us we need a little bit more. Just go and get more. Because if you have more, you'll be happy. In fact, John Rockefeller, one of the wealthiest men of his time, back when he was at the peak of his wealth, he had a net worth of about 1% of the entire US economy and he owned 90% of the oil and gas industry. This wealthy man was asked, how much money is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. Fascinating, isn't it, that even with so much wealth, just wanting just a little bit more. Theologian N.T. Wright says, many people give lip service to the maximum, that money can't buy you happiness, but most give life service to the hope that it just might. I wonder if we're guilty of that too. Guilty that, yeah, we say, yeah, of course money won't buy me happiness, but what are our choices in our lifestyle? Are we striving for that? Are we longing and chasing after money and more? Well, let me put it another way. Do we have a resolve to be content? Do we have a resolve to be content? Because in order to be generous, we need to be content. And if we're going to be content, we actually need to face reality and know some truth. And the first truth I want to say today is stuff is just stuff. Stuff is just stuff. Stuff does not and cannot make us happier or feel better about ourselves or more successful. or It doesn't actually make life better. Stuff is just stuff. And as Paul says in verse 7, we can't take it with us. It's just stuff. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You know, Jesus is guaranteeing stuff's going to wear out. Stuff will get broken, stuff will wear out, stuff will get destroyed. The floods, the rain right now, we are super aware of that. Things get destroyed. We've seen what's happened. Maybe your house isn't looking so good this morning. I hope not. But stuff is just stuff. We cannot rely on material wealth for satisfaction and contentment. First truth, stuff is just stuff. Second truth, greed destroys. Sadly, greed destroys. Because when we continually want more and more and more, we end up with greed in our hearts. And this is what causes destruction. Now, Paul says in verse 9 and 10, he describes those who want to get rich, that they'll fall into temptation and a trap, into ruin and destruction. They'll wander from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. This is Paul's description of what happens to those that have greed and want more. Now, society would paint a picture that the more we have, the opulence, the wealth, we'll feel content, we'll feel joyful, there'll be bliss absolute opposite picture from Paul. Paul's explaining the truth that actually greed destroys. We don't have to search too far to find this truth in our culture. We see it in different things around us. You know, I found this article online that talked about a man back in 2001, an American guy who won 392 million Australian dollars in the jackpot of the Powerball. Like 392 million dollars. 
He then went on to spend a lot of that. He bought cars, apparently he bought swords. He bought a jet. He bought numerous luxury homes in California and Florida. He bought a couple of businesses. He spent some money on three horses that actually lost a lot of money. He went on this spending spree and then sadly, he became a drug user and he chased a life of drugs. He became sick with an addiction and ended up dying in a hospice alone penniless at the age of 58. Greed destroys. And he's not alone. When you actually look up people, how they respond to winning in the lotto, there's so many quotes. Let me read some of them to you, what the lottery winners say. It was a death sentence for my relationship with my family. I was harassed and became a recluse. It contributed to the demise of my marriage. I partied and drank the money away. Now I'm in more debt than before. I'm living with regret. It's a picture of destruction that greed will destroy. Now, money itself isn't evil. Paul says it's the love of money that's at the root of evil. Let me read what N.T. Wright says about it. He says, Money is not as it stands God's creation, but a human invention to make the exchange of goods easier and more flexible. The further it becomes removed from the goods themselves and the more it becomes a good in itself, the closer we come to idolatry. I wonder what money is for us today. Is money just a tool, a purpose of exchanging goods or has money itself become something that we pursue, that we chase after, that we long for? Is money just a tool Or if we're honest, is wealth and money something that we worship? Because when we love and worship money, that's when destruction comes. I wonder today, what do we worship? If we're honest with ourselves, what is it we worship? Because we all worship something. Stephen McAlpine in his book, Being the Bad Guys, he talks about the fact that every one of us worships something. The choice is what? He talks about if we worship things and money, we will always want more. There will never be enough. He talks about if we worship physical appearance and sexual allure and beauty, we'll always feel ugly. He talks about the fact that if we worship anything but God, what we worship will eat us alive. That if we're worshipping things that are not God, it will eat us alive. So the question today is what are we going to worship Because we see this truth that Paul talks about that greed destroys. What are we going to worship? And maybe you think, but I don't worship cash, I don't worship money. But that question, that reality, we all worship something. What do we choose? But there is another way. There is a way where we have a resolve to be content. And Paul says in verse 8 that if we have food and clothing, let's be content with that. We've got food and clothing. And then Paul, he speaks further to Timothy about what it is we should pursue rather than the love of money. So let me read from 1 Timothy 6 verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. 
Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in His own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to Him be the honour and might forever. Amen. See, what we see Paul was saying to Timothy and the church, which includes us today, is to chase after the things of God to pursue the things of God. He says in verse 11, flee from all this. And the all this is the love of money, all the stuff he was talking about. Run away from loving money and actually pursue the things he says are to chase after righteousness, which is an integrity, to have a life of integrity, godliness, faith in Jesus, love, endurance and gentleness. This is the stuff that we are called to pursue and to chase after. That's what it looks like to know contentment. Now, it can feel a bit like this is a list of all the things I'm telling us we need to do better. And in some ways it kind of is, we do need to do better. (laughs) But also it's about getting in shape and becoming who God has called us to be. Because Paul uses this language, he says, fight the good fight. Now, some commentaries say that this fight the good fight is all about an athletic contest, that he's saying to Timothy, you know, run the race, get fit to to chase that down and pursue the life that God has called you to in that athletic way. Other commentaries talk about the idea that fight the good fight is kind of like you're being enlisted into God's army, that we're fighting against the ways of this world and we've got to be prepared to be able to be resilient and strong enough to stand up for what matters And to know that this army is temporary because our king is coming back. And that is when the battle will be won. Whichever way we look at it, we're called to fight a fight, yeah? We're called to participate and get active and get strong and have courage and grow in resilience of what it looks like to participate and choose this way of living. Knowing that this world, it's temporary. This stuff, which is just stuff, is just temporary. So if we're going to live well in this world, if we're going to know contentment and generosity in order to push against the false lies of materialism that say, just a little bit more, to push against that, the solution is to pursue the things of God. That is the solution to know contentment and to be generous. And this doesn't just happen by accident. We have to intentionally chase after and pursue the things of God. We have to intentionally choose to be righteous and godly and love faith and love and endurance and gentleness. That's what we are called to choose. In a sense, to have a resolve to live differently. N.T. Wright says, if you've trained yourself only to get enjoyment from things that cost money, you need to go into a different sort of training. I like that quote. If we've trained ourselves just to enjoy the stuff that comes from money, we need to train ourselves differently. I wonder today, what's the training we need to sign up for? 
What's the training we need to be about in order to pursue the things of God? What is maybe the patterns of behaviour, the decisions, the choices, the values, the priorities? What is maybe some of our spending choices that we need to look at if we're going to go into training to pursue the things of God? What are the choices and the values that we need to maybe have a check of? What are the things that we are reading and listening to and filling our heart and our mind with? If we're going to go into training to fight the good fight and pursue these things of God, what are we actually learning and being shaped by? Are we sitting in His Word? Are we being surrounded by God's truths to know what we need to grow in? And I wonder, who are we surrounding ourselves with? Who are our training buddies As we fight the good fight, who are we running the race with and getting in the battle with? Because together as God's community, as we together have a resolve to be content and generous, the world's going to see things look different when they'll notice how we're behaving. We'll keep each other accountable. Together we get to choose and keep choosing to pursue the things of God. And then Paul, as he brings this chapter to a close in verse 17 to 18, he really steps into this generous resolve idea. Let me read his final verses. It says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul here, he's, he's speaking to those that are rich in the present world. Now, I don't know your circumstances and you might say to me, I'm not feeling that rich with the reality of the way the world is right now and expenses. You might not be feeling that rich, but I want to give us a little bit of a perspective check. Do you know nearly 10% of the world live in extreme poverty? They live on less than $1.90 a day. In contrast to that, the average Australian household we have on average $319 a day. Quite a big difference. But it's not just about cash. I'm going to read a description of poverty that's adapted from the World Vision website. It says, Although poverty is often discussed in terms of dollar amounts, quality of life is also part of the conversation. Living in poverty means a life of struggle and deprivation. It means a lack of access to quality education, not being able to afford a doctor or medical treatment, no electricity, limited shelter, little to no food on the table, a lack of access to clean water and sanitation, the spread of preventable diseases and the unnecessary death of children. That's poverty. I think today, if we have access to education to medical treatment, to electricity. Now, I know some of you might have lost it overnight, but we've got it back this morning. To shelter, to food, to clean water. If we have access to those things, I would dare say we are rich in this present day. We are rich in this present day. And so if we are the rich, what is Paul saying to do? Live extravagantly generously, to give, give and keep giving, to have a generous resolve. Let me reread the passage again in the message version. 
It says, tell those rich in this world's wealth, us, to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God who piles on all the riches we could ever manage to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. That's when we gain life, being extravagantly generous. Paul is clearly saying, put our hope and our contentment and our trust in Jesus. He has more than enough. And in response to His goodness that He'll provide and He'll bless and He gives us enough to give it away, to give generously, extravagantly generously. In essence, Paul is challenging us to have a resolve to be content and generous. To have a resolve that we will be people who will actually be content, will be satisfied and grateful with what we have and will live generous lives, giving away, sharing with others. But in order for this to be a resolve, like become who we are, not just a fad or a good series that we sit in or something like that, actually we need to do some work on this. We actually need a wrestle because a resolve requires a wrestle to have something change us and make us look different. We need to have a wrestle to really acknowledge what God is saying and doing because a good sermon won't be enough. A great quote won't change us. But a wrestle with the living King, spending time with our Lord, saying, mould me, shape me, give me your resolve for my life. Let me look different. A wrestle with God changes us. It changes our perspective and how we live our life. You know, I know a family who did just that, who actually had a wrestle and it changed them. This is a number of years ago, a family decided, felt this call on their life that they were actually called to go and be urban missionaries. And so they sold their house. They were living in a comfortable area in the northeastern suburbs. And they felt a call of God to go way out north to move to a lower socioeconomic area and to be urban missionaries, to, to share Jesus with those around. And they wrestled with God because that was a big deal to, to leave comforts of home and income and their house and their situation, their friends. And they wrestled for about a year. God, really? How? What? Why? And interestingly, when they went to a conference, someone was talking about this idea and actually said, sometimes you don't get writing in the sky. And sometimes you just have to step out in faith. And so as they, they came to this kind of wrestle space, they felt a real call to go, okay, I, I, we've been talking and wrestling, God, we're going to be obedient. And so they moved and they set up home, they gave up the income and the comforts they had, they gave up their full-time work to invest in the community, to actually serve and bless in the school, in the church, to be with the neighbours. And they actually found it really hard. Really hard, there were times when they barely had enough, where money was really tight, times when an electricity bill would come in and only by the grace of God giving an extra day's work could they pay it. Times when they were struggling to afford nappies for their kids and then in that week they remember a friend just rang and said, God's put it on my heart to give you some cash. And again, God provided. They found it was so tight, but when I spoke to them about it, what they said to me was they always 
had enough to tithe. They always had enough to give God his 10% first. They always had enough for the things they needed, food on the table, shelter over the head, and they always had enough for any neighbour that might knock on the door and need a meal or need some help. God provided. This wrestle they went through, they stepped out and they learnt firsthand you can live with so much less that we don't need to strive and keep striving. And their circumstances have changed. They're now living in a different area, serving God in a different space. But what they learnt, the resolve, who they are to this day, they have a resolve to live with gratitude. They are thankful to God for everything. They have a resolve to, to be generous, to give, and they give extravagantly. And they have a resolve to serve God no matter where they find themselves. What's it gonna be for us? What is our resolve? What are we going to choose to live for? What are we going to strive after? We're going to have a time where we come around the communion table as a bit of a chance to respond to some of the things that I've been saying today, but that we've been sitting in this last series around generosity. And so I want to encourage you online, grab your elements now, your bread and juice. If you're in the room and you don't have bread and juice, pop your hand up nice and high so our welcome team will come to you. We're going to come, as I said, around the communion table and it's a great time to reflect and consider because when we take the bread and the juice, we take them to remember everything Jesus provided for us. You know, we take the bread to remember His body broken for us. We take the juice to remember His blood poured out for us. And we do this because He provided a way. You know, one of the words that's used for God in the Bible is Jehovah Jireh. This word Jireh, that means God will provide. We've been talking about contentment and generosity and it comes from a truth that our God is Jehovah Jireh, that He provides. Communion is a reminder He provides. He provides life. He provides forgiveness. He provides a second chance. He provides a relationship and He provides everything we need to sustain us day in, day out. So I want to invite us in this time just to reflect. In a moment, Kimmy is going to sing a song for us and the lyrics in it say, You are Jaira, God is our provider. You are enough. You are Jaira, you are enough and I will be content in every circumstance. You are Jireh, you are enough. That concept, that truth that He is our Jehovah Jireh, He is our provider. And because of that, I can be content in every circumstance. I wanna invite you now to take both the bread and the juice in your own time. To take this time maybe to start that wrestle with God. Or maybe it's a a time that you want to actually reaffirm your resolve, the way you want to live for Him. Wrestle with Him now. Take the bread and juice and gratitude as you listen. And Kimmy sings over us these words that He's our provider. 